I'm Stan Rowland, and welcome. I'm glad you came. This is all about how Che is used in urban poor settings, primarily North America. So how is Che used in an urban setting? How many of you have been through any Che training, community health evangelism training? Okay, very few. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> uh, che is a ministry that's been going for 35 years. It started under a weird organization called Campus Crusade for Christ in Uganda in 1978. Today, Che is being used in 95 countries of the world about 4,500 villages, primarily villages, and by about 350 different organizations, churches, church denominations, Christian NGOs, that type of thing. And about four years ago, we began to say, five years ago, how can we adapt what we've been doing for 35 years overseas and bring it back here specifically to work with urban poor. Because we were a mission agency, and the mission field is out there. Of course, what did Rick say today at the plenary? It's right here. In fact, are any of you from Minneapolis? Minneapolis blows my mind. When I say Minneapolis, what what? kinds of people do you think live in Minneapolis? Hmm? Swedes, Norwegians, whites. One neighborhood called the Phillips neighborhood, two square miles, 17,000 population. Are you ready? 125 languages spoken. Now, L.A., city... You know, the uh, school district, there's 135, but I expect that in L.A. Salt Lake, what do you know about Salt Lake City? I I lived there for a bunch of years, six, eight years. Lily White. I went back there and working with a church, and he said, and this church is in the, the center of the city, And it's surrounded by freeways. It's about a square mile, about 11,000 people. In Lily White, Salt Lake City, 110 languages spoken. And the people in Salt Lake didn't even know they were there. Because I talked to people. (laughs) I said, what's your immigrant? Oh, no, we don't have it. Anyway, so... What we're going to talk about is a model court called Church-Initiated Neighborhood Transformation. We changed the name from Community Health Evangelism Overseas to Neighborhood Transformation. So this is going to be kind of fast. What are we all about in Neighborhood Transformation? We're all about equipping churches to bring neighborhoods out of poverty and people to what? 
of what's that word before Christ? Maturity. Maturity. It's not just faith in Christ, but walking the talk of Christ. It's Luke 10. You know that verse? Love God with? Oh, your heart, mind, body, and strength. And then he throws in a curveball. What's the curveball? Hmm? Love your neighbor. How? As yourself. Who do you love most? Me. So, che, or neighborhood transformation, kingdom, we're all about kingdom transformation that's getting middle class churches to step outside their four walls to reach to nearby urban poor neighborhoods to see the community changed. Not just coming to Christ, not just become mature in Christ, but beginning to see a neighborhood totally transformed from the inside out. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What, it, what is kingdom transformation all about? It's holistic change, physical, spiritual, emotional, and social. It's restoration of the right relationship with God, self, others, and the world around us, environment. And it's physically, spiritually, emotionally. Transformation is a radical change, but where does that change come? By just getting you so you get money so you can eat? That's a part of it. But where does the transformation really need to come from? Our heart. And so Jesus Christ is a strong element of this whole program. In fact, not just a strong element. That's a dumb thing to say. He's the center of the program. And so we're all about transformation comes about individual by individual. I have to be transformed before I can transform you. Right? And can I transform him? Who's going to transform him? Holy Spirit's going to do it. And he has to be open to that transformation. But... Then, as you come and are transformed, and you come, and you come, and you come, we can aggregate you together so that you can begin to transform a neighborhood that you live in or are nearby. So it's, it starts with individual transformation, but what we're really after totally is neighborhood transformation, geographic transformation. Small neighborhoods, we're going to talk about that, aggregated together then, that transform your city. Salt Lake, Minneapolis, Phoenix, Louisville. I know I said it wrong, but that's okay. (laughs) What's our vision for a city? Our vision is to see a city transform neighborhood by neighborhood in all areas of life, all sectors of life, the business sector, the economic sector, the education sector, the health sector, to see that city. But you don't start up here. You start down with a person. 
and you network the persons together, so a neighborhood. And eventually you network the neighborhoods together and the city becomes transformed. Now, I know what you're thinking. Okay, Roland, where are you doing it? This is new here. It's four years old, so I might as well get that out so you don't... Where is it being done? In 93 countries of the world. In 4,500 villages. And the U.S., I'm going to tell you something. I know I'm going to break your stereotype, but the U.S. is very, very different. You know what? Every country I've gone into, from China to Kenya to Swaziland to wherever, says my country is very different. But you know what? Same. If the principles are biblical principles and are right, they work. You have to tweak them to fit the situation, but it works. One of the problems, if I were to ask you, think about an urban poor neighborhood where you live, wherever that is. What comes to your mind? How would you describe that neighborhood? What would you, give me some words that describe it. Unsafe. Hmm? Unsafe. Unsafe. What else? Crime. Crime. What else? Drugs. Drugs. Poor. Poor. Pardon? Food desert. desert. Okay. No way out. Hopelessness. Okay? Aren't there any good things in the neighborhood? Okay. So mostly, though, the problem is when we think about poor, if we go to Kenya, we go to a village, what do we see there? Same kinds of things. We see... The needs and the negatives. But there are tons and tons and tons of assets. What's an asset? God has given us many assets. Natural skills, creativity, and individuals. Each one of us has skills, knowledge, and passion about different things. Those are all assets. We may not know them as assets, but they're there. And so, each one of us has assets, but more importantly, there are many groups in a city, in a neighborhood, that are informal groups. When I say, what groups are in your neighborhood, most people think about the police, the library, the school, an NG, a non-profit that's working there, right? But you know what? Do any of you in your neighborhood where you live belong to a garden club made up of your neighbors? Yeah, one. Well, thank you, one. <laughs> Do any of you belong to a small Bible study that's made up of your neighbors? Do any of you go and have dinner regularly, maybe once a month with three or four neighbors? Or a potluck or something like that? There are many, many, many informal, what is called associations, small groups that are in the neighborhood that are all part of the asset base. And then, of course, 
God's creative plans and purposes for each community. Do you believe that? God's got his plan. You know, I come from, I mentioned that organization, Campus Crusade. What's the first law that Campus Crusade teaches you? That's right. And I can tell you exactly what it is. (laughs) I'm being facetious. Sorry. (laughs) But God does have plans for every community, just like he has plans for us. And God does intervene. Now, there are many problems. What happens when... We focus on needs. There's a big mindset difference when we focus on needs versus assets. When we focus on needs, I say, what's your needs? You give me a list of ten miles long, right? And who's going to fix those needs? I've given, I've told you what my list is. Now you're going to fix them for me. And, and how are we going to fix them for them? We're going to do things for them. What are doing activities? What would be doing things for people? Give me some examples. Pardon? Food pantry. Food pantry, yeah. What else? Home repair. Hmm? Home repair. Yep, home repair. You might go in and, and fix their, their home up, yeah. What else? Clothes, Christmas turkeys, uh, backpacks. These aren't all bad. There's some good ways to do that. But we end up doing things. And we see problems now. Americans are great fixers. We see a problem and what's our inclination? I got the answer. I'll fix it for you. And third, we are focusing, or fourth, we're focusing on what's missing. But let's come out. So when you focus on needs, we end up providing services to meet those needs. We end, the answer becomes, I've got the greatest program, neighborhood transformation, that'll solve all your problems. And it ends up fostering dependency on outsiders. Now, I'm going to meddle. Professionals, you. Every one of you are professionals, I think. Aren't you? Doctors, nurses, PTs, etc. They're needed. You're needed. But the bulk of what's needed to see people changed is found in the assets. Because when we focus on assets... We're focusing on empowering people to do stuff themselves. Ah, they can't. If they could do something themselves, why didn't they do it before? They didn't know they could do it. When we focus on assets, we seek what the Lord has intended for this place. Most important, we build on what's there, not what's not there. And when you focus on assets, 
you provide connections between people that have something in the neighborhood with people that may or may not have or are interested in in that. So it provides connections between people and between those informal groups. It builds, people are God's answer, not programs. And it builds interdependence. I didn't say independence, but interdependence among who? The people that are there. Let me ask, how many of you have been overseas to rural villages somewhere? I don't care where. Good. The vast bulk of you have, right? Think about those villages. When, how long have those people lived in that village? Forever. Forever. In other words, it's generation after generation. Most of them will stay there. When they have a need, who do they go to? Who do they go to? Hmm? Their neighbors. Yeah. They're, because who are those guys? Their extended family. Many times. And there's churches. And so everything they need is generally taken care of. Now, do they, they're missing some stuff. I know that. One of the things that I always get into is in our old name, uh, the organization, one of the organizations I was involved with was called Medical Ambassadors. So as soon as I say the word Medical Ambassadors, what do they think I'm going to bring them? Medicine. Medicine, doctors, a clinic, and there might be a clinic two kilometers down the road. And so the key is beginning to get people to think about what assets are there, right there, found in individuals. So where do you find them? And I've touched it on on a location. The first and foremost is skills, interests, Assets of individuals. Let me ask a question. What are some skills that you have? Things you do with your hands. You, sitting here. What are some skills? I'm sorry? I sewed a Halloween outfit for my daughter. Okay, yeah, you can sew. So you sewed a Halloween. A little bit. Yeah, yeah, right. You aren't as perfect seamsters, but... You have that skill. What else do you have? What else are some of your skills? Carpentry. Pardon? Carpentry. Carpentry, sure. What else? Cooking. Cooking, absolutely. What else? Play the tuba. Okay, yes, absolutely. Did I I hear that right? Okay. What else? Come on, you guys have got tons of skills. Pulling weeds, amen. <laughs> Tutoring. Tutoring. So there are many skills that we have. Now, you got to pull it and dig a little sometimes. I'm not saying that's a very, you know, just. But you got to think simple. 
Now, what knowledge do you have that might help a neighbor someplace? What knowledge? The gospel. The gospel, sure. What else? Nutrition, yeah, how to prepare meals and the whole nutrition stuff. What else? Farming. Farming. Okay. Finances. Finances, yeah, how to keep books or how to keep your checkbook balanced or whatever. Navigating the educational system. Yeah. Very important, yeah, that's right. Navigating the educational system or navigating the system in the city to get the services. So we all have knowledge. Everybody. I don't care where that person's from. How much education they have. I don't care what their mental ability is, their IQ. I don't care if they're rich or poor. Every one of us has those skills, knowledge. And there's a third one. What are you passionate about? other than your spouse, if you're married. But what are things that really excite you? What are some things that really excite you? Hmm? Pardon? Okay. What else? The New Orleans Saints. The New Orleans Saints, sure. Okay. Yeah, I root for them all the time. Okay. Not me, but you. <laughs> what else? Talking to young women. Talking? Helping? Young women. Yeah, young women. Interfacing with them and working. All of us have passions. We ask another question. If teaching were done in this neighborhood, what might you like to learn? In the neighborhood where you live, what might you like to learn? Okay, your neighbor's needs. I'm going to really meddle now. How many of you could name the name, take five families right around you, whether you're in an apartment or a house, five closest families. How many of you could name the names of one of those families, all the kids and that? Just one. I'll start easy. We're going to work our way up. Yeah. Two? Three? Oh, you guys are pretty good. Four? Five? Okay. Now, those of you that know the names of the families right around you, know anything about them from a standpoint, yes, I live in the house and... They don't cut their yard. (laughs) I know that because I can observe that. But something more. What are some things you know about your neighbor? I mean, not deep, dark, negative things. I know the issues that my next-door neighbor's facing, the trials, the tribulations. Okay. Okay. What else? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. So we begin to know. But in most neighborhoods, people don't know this. 
I don't care if you're rich. How many of us live in a house with a garage door opener? What do we do with that garage door opener? We go click and just keep going. Click and close it. Click and open, you know, etc. Where does most of the activity, out? if we do any activity outside of our house, not in an apartment, but in a house, where is most of the outside activity done? Back, yeah, that's right, backyard. But can you interface with your neighbors back there? Not unless it's one of these that, you know, that, that are the full open. There aren't too many neighborhoods like that. But the point is, we need to begin to learn first who our neighbor is. We need to begin to learn some of their skills and assets. We need to begin, and they know us, we need to develop a relationship. But when you do that, that gives you tremendous Forward. So, the first and foremost is individuals. We've talked about associations. And then, if you, how many of you, do any of you, oops, do any of you, I have a loud voice, I hate wearing this junk. <laughs> um, where was I going? Well, I forget where I was going, but that's okay. A key, oh, how much church? That's where I was going. How do any of you go to a church that's within walking distance of your home? That's very unusual. Most people where do most, how far do most people drive to get to church? How far do you guys drive to get to church? Hmm? When it's too far to walk, yeah. But mo- hmm? 20 miles, 10 miles. Our churches today are commuter churches, by and large. There are very few neighborhood churches where you walk to church. And if you... If you might walk to church, where do the rest of the members, most of the members, do they walk or do they drive? Everybody walks. Okay, that's a super neighborhood church. That you don't find that often, but that's phenomenal. You don't find that. Now, is a church an institution, the church you go to, and we'll use your church because it's a neighborhood church, is that church a church called an institution or an association? Association is a loose group of people coming together. Typically an association is made up of volunteers. Typically an association doesn't pay dues, doesn't pay, you know, etc. Is a church an institution or association? In our case, it's closer to an association. Okay, are you in a house church? Yeah. Yeah. And that's very close to an association, particularly if you don't have paid pastors and stuff. But the church typically is an institution while 
the small Bible study if its neighborhood is association. Okay, normally, and we don't have time, I do a river crossing story here. There are three kinds of ways to help people. One is when I do stuff for them. I carry people on my back. I, what most of the things that are happening in most churches, social outreach program. Betterment is where I come alongside you to help an individual improve their life. What would be an example of a betterment activity? Pardon? I'm sorry. Yeah, teaching a skill to a person. Tutoring a kid. Tutoring, coaching a mom. That type of thing. Development is where you begin to help people. You've gone past teaching the skill or the knowledge. They begin to apply it on their own and they begin to teach others. Remember the Bible verse? Well, any of you know the Bible verse 2 Timothy 2.2? No, 2 Timothy 2.2? Okay. And who's saying that to whom? And so Paul's telling Timothy to find a faithful man to teach it to who finds another faithful I use the word man in the generic sense. Um, a faithful man for generations. And so what you're after is multiplication at two levels. One level is individual level. Okay? Why? Why do you want multiplication at multiple levels instead of I just teach you and you apply it? Sustainability. That's right. Sustainability. It's got to keep going. You know the old Energizer Bunny TV ad that keeps going and going? You've got to have that kind of built in. But secondly, you want neighborhood generation multiplication. The hour before, we just talked about what Che was doing internationally, and it was a bunch of stories of people. And the whole concept is that when you get a neighborhood doing something and being transformed, you want them to be the catalyst to help the next neighborhood. Who then helps the next neighborhood? Okay, what's neighborhood transformation built on? It's built on identifying and utilizing assets already found where? In the neighborhood. It's all about mobilizing individuals, associations, and institutions to come together to build on their assets, not concentrate on their needs. It's reawakening neighbor helping neighbor. Remember I asked you about the village? When there was a need where the villagers go, we said, to their neighbor. But if we don't know our neighbor, where do most people come from in an urban setting? Where do they come from? Are they from that place? They've all come from somewhere else. How many of you have lived in your house more than 
five years. So about two-thirds of you have lived there less than five years. How many of you expect that you'll be living in that same place where you're at in the next five years? Where you're at. We are city people are transient. We come from all over. We come, how many, well, I, I could ask if from you about your, where do you come from and where does your neighbor come from and your neighbor next door, you might live in Philadelphia and your neighbor might come from Florida, right? Therefore, in today's setting, might come from Kenya, <laughs> Or Iraq or wherever. So when you work in urban settings, the big difference is that in general, you don't have the permanence and the history that you have in a rural village setting. There are very few rural villages in the U.S. There are two places that I say are, are rural villages, and you've got there's one here in Kentucky. In southeastern Kentucky, in the mountains, they're isolated. People don't move very much. And up in northern Montana, way up. But western Kentucky, is there, there are no villages there. Mm-hmm. Correction. Well, in addition to that, yep. Alaska, we have a lot of rural. Yes, Alaska, you have a tremendous amount. Why? Because they're spread so far apart. And they're yeah, yeah, you can't get there. There aren't roads. There aren't. Uh, you got to fly in or mucklock in or so forth. So that's right. Dog sled. Dog sled in exactly. So, but there aren't many of those. But when you think about urban setting, people come from all over. And so, what neighborhood transformation is all about? One of the goals is to reawaken. Neighborhood, well, first, neighbor, knowing neighbor. Neighbor, beginning to trust neighbor. And then neighbor, beginning to help neighbor. And then connecting those neighbors together so they actually change their neighborhood. And we'll talk about what's the size of a neighborhood. Neighborhood transformation is committed to partnering with groups already in the neighborhood. In other words, we aren't talking about we're going to bring in the greatest things since sliced cheese and we got it and you've been working here for 25 years. You haven't been doing it right, so we'll see you. Now, that's pretty crude, but many times we do that. Maybe not that crudely. But we do do it. It's all about finding churches that are externally focused. And an externally focused church is churches that are beginning to think, maybe we should reach outside of our four walls to be salt and light in our neighborhood. Instead of just soaking in and not giving out. What happened? And we want to tap into existing neighborhoods. It's committed to promoting self-help within the neighborhood. 
It's all about finding local leadership, and it's discovering and using local resources. What's a neighborhood? It's generally big. How many of you, well, most of you know what a census, tra- a census code is, right? Mail. That's how you get your mail. Pretty big piece of geography. Is that a neighborhood? Nobody knows where the boundaries are, so very definitely it isn't. But each city is broken into neighborhoods. Do any of you, in, do you know the neighborhood you live in? Is there a name associated that you're aware of? What's the neighborhood? Okay, and how big is that, more or less? Could you tell me the, could you, do you know the boundaries? Um, Okay, yeah. So five blocks by four blocks, and probably how was it started? Was it a housing development that some contractor built? or, or, And even going back to the 1800s, it was still somewhat that way. So there are, every city is broken into neighborhoods that are traditional. There's a neighborhood, I live in Phoenix now, Sunnyvale, Sunnyvale, is not a neighborhood, but they call themselves one. It's 40,000 people. But this used to be the neighborhood when people had TB, tuberculosis. They came to Phoenix for the dry. And they were allowed to pitch their tent in Sunnyvale to recuperate. And that became a neighborhood. So, The easiest way, as this shows, is to build it on an elementary school. Why an elementary school? Not a middle school, not a high school. Why elementary? Why do you think? Smaller, Smaller, yeah. What else? Yeah, they generally are not bust. Okay? Now, there's some, a few cities that Fifteen years ago, they did topsy-turvy. And you're in this neighborhood, and they bust you to this and that. But that's the unusual. Most of elementary school kids still walk to school. If they're outside of a mile, they may be bust, but it's right there. So the neighborhood is smaller, typically 8 to 10 square blocks. Secondly, parents. Where do parents have the most opportunity, what age, to, to have impact in the kid's life? Elementary school. And where are they most active in the kid's life? Elementary school. So there's at least some common bond. So the elementary school is a great place. And one of the things we teach churches they need to do is go to the elementary school where they're working and say, we would like to, what can we do to help you? What do you think the principal? First, it might blow the principal away. But what do you think the principal might say? Well, my kids need backpacks, or there are certain families that need turkeys at Christmas time. Because in every school, they know 
who are the kids that are on subsidized meals. They know the kids that come to school with more patches on their clothes than clothes. So, elementary school is a key place. Choosing a neighborhood, we work with churches, primarily middle class churches, and we work with them and tell them to choose a neighborhood to work in where urban poor are close by. Where did the urban poor live? Where did urban poor live 30 years ago in a city? Where did they live? Hmm? Geographically, where did they live? Typically in city center with high-rise government housing that the government owned. But two things have happened. What's happened to the city center? Hmm? And what do you mean economic? Okay, it's been the center and it's a nice place. People want to live there. Why? It's close. It's hopefully, if, if, well, if the city's done um, restoration, they've done that. And so where do the poor go? They're out. When they closed the high-rise buildings they went that were owned by the government, they went to, to subsidized housing. What, subs, what do I mean by subsidized housing? Low rent. So basically the government will go to a housing complex, an apartment complex that used to be a nice middle class on the outer ring suburb. And they go and an, and an apartment owner says, okay, I'll take subsidized rent. So they move out there. And so every neighborhood, every place you look in every city, there are subsidized housing, and it's all out. And it's right next to the million-dollar homes. So urban poor. Who are the urban poor? I don't remember if I do. Who are the urban poor? When I say urban poor, who comes to your mind? What's the first group that comes to your mind? Pardon? African-American. Yeah, Immigrants? What else? Mentally ill. Mentally ill, yeah. Single moms. Single moms. uh, There are probably about five categories. Now, I hate categorizing, but it makes it easier from a teaching standpoint. Many times we think, middle class people think of generational welfare. What's generational welfare? Yeah, so it's two or three generations are on welfare. Many times they're single moms, but single moms aren't just found in welfare. But So one is generational welfare. There's a second group that's a growing group right now. What's that? The ones that work at McDonald's, they work at three jobs. Working poor have no benefits, generally lower education. The third, somebody mentioned immigrants. And there are two different groups of immigrants because they come with a 
little different mindset. One is the immigrants that move here. In other words, they immigrate here versus refugee. Most immigrants, many immigrants migrate here, immigrate here to for economics. And they have a different mindset than a refugee that can't go back to their country because they might be killed. So that's three. There's a fourth one, and that's called senior citizens on fixed income. They had a house in this neighborhood. It used to be a very nice neighborhood. The neighborhood's gone downhill. They've gotten older. Their extended family's gone. And there's a problem. And then Phil just talked about one. Today, just before this hour, the homeless. Did any of you hear his on homeless? He gave some interesting statistics that opened my mind. Very, very good. A statistic. I'm going to quote you. (laughs) 70% of the homeless are homeless only one time in their life. Right? But who do you think, when I say the word homeless, who do you think of? The chronic guy. That's drug addicted, alcohol, mental, etc. But what percentage of, of the homeless are that? I think you said it was 15. But where's all our focus and homeless programs on the, on the chronic? Then there's a third level in there, and that's the episodal. And they're the ones that may be homeless once or twice a year. In other words, it kind of repeats itself, not over a period of time, based on different situations. But the big point that blew my mind, 70% of the homeless are one-time homeless. And it doesn't mean, I don't think you meant they were homeless for three years. They were homeless for a relatively short period of time. A month. Okay. But they're a fifth group. And so when you're going to work with urban poor, you've got to work with all of those levels. I'm not going to spend time. The key thing is that what we're after is to help local churches. Now, how many are are any of you involved in clinics, urban clinics that serve the poor? FQIC or lookalike FQIC. Okay. One of the things that normally what we're talking and we're talking about all across the board is working with churches, middle-class churches, that want to see transformation take place in individuals and in neighborhoods. And so we train lay people sitting in the congregation how to be that agent of change. Now, I say that. That's a very difficult thing to do. It takes time, and there's lots of issues in that. But in the clinic setting, your your government clinic, the clinic can also be part of that because all clinics want to see health education, part of a 
community health centers, responsibility is community-based health care, change. But you don't have the money for it because you don't get paid for it generally. And so there's a way to work with the clinic who works with the churches in their target area, in their catchment area. So what is this? It's time to quit. So what is this about? It's, I'm not going to go through that, which is interesting, but we don't have time. What are we after? Shared vision in a community. People begin to see that they can change their community, that godly people are being raised up as leaders and taking responsibility. Most importantly, that people in the community own the change. Meaning that they say, look what we did. Not what you did. Look what we did. And when you leave, because you're going to leave, what you started keeps going and going and going, like the Energizer Bunny. That's what we're after. So, and that's what I mean by ownership. That only happens when the people have been involved from the beginning, are using the assets that they have, are taking the leadership in seeing transformation takes place. And cooperation is there, volunteerism, and some people say there's no such thing as volunteerism, hogwash. People volunteer for what's really important to them. Not to you, but to them. And they could be as busy as can be, but if you're on the same wavelength and they want to see something done, they do it. And it's all about giving people dignity. They recover their dignity in the image of God. What are we after? Neighborhoods transformed from the inside. People knowing their neighbors and helping each other. People knowing and growing in Christ. People taking responsibility for their own lives. Healthy growing churches. Improvement in employment. Reduction in crime rates. In given neighborhoods. And then networking those neighborhoods together so that they are changing the city. So, it's time to quit. If you want to learn more about neighborhood transformation, you can go to the website, www.neighborhoodtransformation. We have a Facebook site that's, eh. <laughs> There's not a... <laughs> If I was talking about the Global Che Network, the international Facebook site, they got tons of stuff coming in. <laughs> but ours is, could be a lot better. And then I have a blog, Urban Che Guy, that I'm not that good at. About every two weeks I do it, and that's not enough. But And if you're interested, if you think your church might be interested or your clinic might be interested we can come alongside you and actually equip you how to do this. We have a training program that does this, as an example. To next Monday, this coming Monday, we're going to be doing a five-day training of training people from across Louisville, from different neighborhoods, how to do this. We'll do the same thing in other cities. So 
that's available. Thank you very much, and we'll see you.